Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy, and today I've got Mike Casimir, Henry Quinney, and Sarah Moore finally back with us for a big Q&A episode. It's been a while since we've done one of these, and I feel like they should happen at least once a month. So we're going to try to get back on that schedule starting now, but definitely don't hold me to it. It has been a busy couple months of summer with field tests and crankworks, but we're finally all back where we belong. Kaz, crankworks is done. Are you biked out or have you been have you been riding a bunch post crankworks? I've been riding a bunch. I would say I'm a little biked out. Like it's it hasn't rained in a while. So when the trails get super dusty and blown out, I'm really spoiled and I just get a little bit less motivated. But I still am riding a ton. But I might have a little yeah, post crankworks depression not having a chairlift like right next to me makes me a little sad it was kind of nice to just be like that roll is out. the good life yeah, like, that's pretty sweet but um but yeah i've been riding a bunch though yeah of course you have you yeah. saying you're biked out is like you're only riding six days a week instead of seven days a week and your rides are only three hours instead of five hours i feel like yeah it's like that but it's okay have you been have you been riding anything interesting what are you riding right now bike wise um I have bikes that aren't, haven't come out yet, so I can't really talk about all of them, but I, I've been riding that Nomad still a ton. Like that's a long-term review, but I rode that a bunch over Crankworks. I raced that EWS with it um, yeah. and just still putting miles on I that. Th- I thought you said you've been riding that 25-pound gearbox bike with 180 mil travel. <laughs> oh, shh. Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> it's only going to cost $3,000. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, yeah, infinite maintenance. But, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, a lot of time the Nomad. I got some, I got an e-bike I've been riding and also another kind of longer travel bike that's coming out in September. So some secret bikes that you can't tell us about. Yeah, but September's looking like a busy month for bike launches. So there should be a lot of stuff coming up in the next four to six weeks. Yeah, for sure. Sarah Moore, it has been far too long. We've missed you. We've missed your laughing and your positive attitude on this podcast. We've just been to Henry and I and Kaz. We've just been dragging it down without you. <laughs> That's true. I went, I had like two weeks of vacation and then we were in Quebec for a down country field test for two weeks and then crank work. So yeah, it's been a while since I had to be in front of this microphone. Have you been, have you been riding a bunch since we've been back for crank works for the last week? I have, although like same as Kaz, like the trails are really dry here right now. So it's definitely a little bit harder to, you know, get excited about going out when it's really warm and really dry and then you feel really bad about like i live in squamish and like but these are the best trails in the world like yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna go for a ride like this is silly to like complain about the conditions of the trails and yeah they're they're still really good so yeah are the are the trails just so people have an idea are the trails sketchier when they're wet or when they're this dry what would you prefer uh, i think they're less sketchy when they're wet i mean it kind of depends on on the trail but um there there's just like a really fine coating of dust on everything right now and it's just so unpredictable like the i feel like the mud is a little bit when the the trails are wet here they don't really get that muddy actually but it's a little bit more predictable whereas the dust you're like oh yeah this is fine and then suddenly you know you're not not fine you're on the ground so yeah gotta be careful do you know how slippery it's going to be when we do get that first oh. day of rain on that dust? <laughs> That's the worst. The day one of rain yeah. is the scariest because it gets that yes. slime. Like it has to rain for three days straight and then it's perfect. But the first day is like yeah. slime day and that's so scary. It, it's like every rocky roll down has those. You remember those arrows from like Sonic the Hedgehog and Mario Kart? <laughs> yeah. You'd go over the arrows and they'd speed you up. Uh-huh. That's how it feels the first day of rain. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you probably like change your tires for some dry tires. So you're like, yeah, it's never going to rain again. I can't imagine it. Uh-huh. Yeah. That also doesn't help. Yeah. Henry Quinney, what about you? How the heck are you? And have you been riding bikes? How, how are things? I haven't really been riding bikes that much. I, I was just saying, I think I did two weeks in Morzine over the summer and before that it was literally about january and you've been a busy beaver though can you remember stuff can you remember when we did that podcast one of the ones that never makes it to where because the quality is just so appallingly low and the hubris (laughs) is so incredibly high um but i limped in because i thought i broke my pelvis (laughs) that's pretty much the last time i rode bikes jeez yeah well like it's a long time ago um yeah but yeah looking forward to this i mean obviously the season's been really fun and it's been nice to be back on the circuit but i'm really looking forward to being on my own schedule a bit riding bikes a couple of times a week and now that yeah. seems like such a such a far away time you know um 
but yeah, I, I can't wait to get back to it in the off season for sure. Yeah. It's nice to ride bikes instead of talking about bikes, isn't it? Which is oh, what we're doing right now. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, um, I know, I think sometimes like, yeah, when, when you're in a good rhythm and every day and you just like, it's not even like you're thinking about riding bikes. You just, your schedule yeah. is such that you just fall into riding bikes every day. It's just, yeah. just the best. You don't have to make time for it because it just happens. Yeah, totally. And it gives me an excuse to plug the Transition Spire, one of the best handling oh, bikes ever. Moving on. <laughs> and, uh, Everybody stay tuned for freaking Henry's Transition Spire bike check that's coming. <laughs> sure everybody will be super interested. <laughs> everybody that's listening, definitely troll those comments on Henry's upcoming Spire bike check. I want to see some funny comments underneath that thing. <laughs> All right. Let's get into these questions because I picked way too many of them. I don't think we're going to get through them all. Uh, these questions are partly from under the last podcast we did where I asked you guys to give us questions, but I've also taken them from under the welcome to field test video, uh, under the field test reviews, under a bunch of Crankworks articles. And if you guys have questions that you want to hear us answer in a future podcast, you could post it under any article, but you got to tag me in it at Mike Levy. Otherwise, I'm not going to see it. Or obviously, you could post it underneath the podcast article. I might not see it anyway, but that's that's the best way to do it. So let's do it. All of these questions are in no particular order. I've just copy and pasted them in. Um, let's start off with a question from this guy named I Hertzler. He says he's finishing his degree next spring. He's planning on moving to the Pacific Northwest Casimir, specifically Seattle for a post doc. And he wants to do all the riding in northern Washington and southern BC. Uh, he's starting fresh, Kaz, with all new gear. And he wants to know jackets, clothes, shoes. Does it rain as much as it seems? Would, he rec would we recommend waterproof shoes? Kaz, what would you tell this guy for clothing, for riding in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, he should buy a boot dryer. That's like the first thing. And that way you can just keep your shoes dry. Amazon. Yeah, Amazon boot dryer. I think yeah. like 50 or $60. But they're they're worth it um because yeah mine's running pretty much all winter long just to keep my boots or my shoes dry after a ride um you don't really need to go crazy with all the waterproof nuts you don't have to drop like thousands and thousands of dollars on gore-tex because around here it's typically kind of warmer than um it's not that it's like not below freezing obviously because then it'll be snowing but it's like a warmer rain so and you, if you get pedaling you just get hot you overheat and all that fancy waterproof gear so um it's nice to have like a a, a rainproof layer but you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on that either so like i'd say some pants they're great um, just because they make clean up easier after your ride so you know some mountain bike pants or some just kind of synthetic pants that work for mountain biking and then yeah and then like a cheap-ish rain jacket like i like the um they don't even need to be mountain bike specific like a marmot precip style thing it's kind of good as like an emergency layer but overall you can usually get along um get away with not like you just don't need the fancy stuff i guess is what i'm trying to tell this guy yeah. Henry, you're from, you're from England. Uh, <laughs> how do you feel about waterproof stuff? I've, I've never really been a fan of waterproof anything, I, to be honest. Hmm. How to put this? I've spoken to people like had, that make quite expensive jackets off the record. And they've been like, yeah, of course they don't breathe, mate. It's just, of course they don't breathe. Right. But they're the more breathable variant variation of something that's waterproof. But just because it, I, I find waterproof jackets a lot of the time. And I think it's good to have an emergency. It's good if it's a really heavy downpour, but it has to be quite cold, I suppose, to, to merit it. Something I did yeah. really like is Race Face do that conspiracy jersey. Um, Ion do a really good one as well, which is like, it's almost like a wetsuit. Like it gets wet. It doesn't hold that much moisture, but it keeps you warm. And, you know, a lot of waterproof stuff is amazing for shuttling. Um, don't get me wrong. But I find for me, I, I tend to overheat. I'm probably more inclined to maybe go like a waterproof or like, you know, waterproof-ish trouser, like pot could do some like halfway houses and a normal jersey. And at least, you know, because a lot, sometimes it's like the amount of sheer water and mud that comes up underneath is the, is half the problem. Um, yeah. You made yeah. a good point, Henry, there. It depends on how you're riding as well too. Like we're assuming this guy's going out to pedal a bunch, which you're going to be dressed very differently than if you're doing shuttle runs in November, of course. Yeah. But do, do you find for me, if it's... um if it's really, I don't know, if it's re really real deluge, I'd rather just do one big climb 
and a steady pace and then one long descent rather than up down up down where your layers are coming on and off and all this sort of business yeah yeah, um, yeah. and i think in some ways obviously that, that depends on your location but the kind of style you're riding can change a bit too for sure sarah moore you have you have a very important piece of cycling gear i haven't bought a set myself yet they're my favorite piece of cycling gear that I've ever seen anybody use. Can you tell us about it? I assume you mean my heated socks, which yeah. I probably would have stopped riding in the winter if I hadn't bought $400 socks. Right. That sounds crazy. But t- yeah. tell me why they're important. It is crazy. Um, I've just like growing up in Quebec, cross-country skiing, I have very poor circulation now from freezing my feet so many times and pretty much if it's below like 10 degrees Celsius. Now I'll just like my feet will finish and I'll be just white, which I don't think is really great for, you know, long-term health. Are your toenails falling off? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I bought these uh, waterproof, not, they're not waterproof. Sorry. I bought these uh, heated socks. They just have like a small battery pack. They seem to work in the pouring rain. Um, And that's like, I find the biggest thing is hands and feet. Like if your hands and feet. Yeah. Are comfortable then you can continue riding um but yeah as soon as my hands and feet go then i'm like get me out of here as soon as possible <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the only other thing i have to add to that is uh i hitzler if you can make sure you have easy access to a hose like i don't know your living situation what that's going to be like if it's going to be in dorms or an apartment or a house or whatever but if you have a hose that you can just spray your bike off and clean your drivetrain, you should be set. That's all you really need. Um, and I'd say fender. Fenders are good. Oh, yeah, definitely a front fender. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Doesn't agree with me, but fenders. I think you could get a fender. They're like, wait, you don't like, oh, we don't like, yeah, I wasn't going to, oh, I won't, yeah. won't start this today. Fender is very important. You definitely need a front fender. Big, the, the bigger and more ridiculous, the better. The, yeah, I mean, you know, now the big like ones that, do work. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, God, yeah. Those, those quad catchers, they look, particularly strange they kind of have the elastic bands on and but they, they were just amazing yeah they work so well yeah and then some like clear clear glasses or goggles are good too it's more about like mud management and just making sure that all the mud and stuff doesn't get in your eyes and all over your body rather than trying to stay totally dry all the time because that's not possible yeah like accept that you're gonna get wet and then make it so that when you get home you could just strip off your pants and your long sleeve jersey or your jacket and boom you're cleanish again yeah that's the goal This week's Pink Bike Podcast is presented by Evo, in-store, online, all the time. Evo offers high-quality mountain bike gear, from parts and accessories to full rigs and anything else you might need to explore the world on two wheels. The latest bike models are currently in at Evo from brands like Santa Cruz, Juliana, Norco, Marin, and Revel. Explore our selection and shop now at evo.com or stop by in-store and kick the tires. Uh, our next question here, this is from uh, Habiden. He wants to know uh, if we had the budget to go to one destination for a stage race, uh, Andy Pacifico, the Mega Avalanche, Trans, how do you say that, Kaz? Mer- Madeira? Madeira? Trans Madeira? Yeah. Um, what would we choose? Kaz, what, what would you choose? Uh, I definitely would not do the Mega Avalanche. That looks like my nightmare. Like going down snow with 5,000 people trying <laughs> to run me over. Bikers. It's too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know where I'd go. I mean, Madeira is awesome. I've ridden there before. So I would do that race, I guess, the Trans Madeira. Um, yeah, the riding's great there. So Wait, I bet that's pretty fun. Is that an enduro, stage enduro race mm-hmm. thing? Or yeah, what? I think it's a multi, I think it's like a week long um, kind of enduro stage thing. Yeah, I'm not sure how much pedaling there is between there. Like when I was there, the, the, Island is very shuttling oriented, but um, I'm sure there's good pedaling and yeah, I bet it's awesome. Just those trails themselves yeah. are great. So that would be on my list just because it's a really nice place to ride bikes. Yeah. Sarah Moore, where would you go? What would you do? I mean, the race that Kaz did looked pretty cool, the Stone King Rally. Um, but I think Trans New Zealand would be up there on where I'd like to go. The organizer also does the Trans VC and that race always looks really cool so i feel like she's really good at selecting trails and yeah i've never been to new zealand so that would be a destination stage race that i would like to do one day henry quinney um i did the enduro 2 in maribel this year which was absolutely amazing so basically it's three-day enduro race that you do in partners and you both got across the line for you so you do it as, as a pair which is so much fun because you're riding all these blind trails with your friend absolutely 
going flat out. And I know for someone that doesn't necessarily like racing, I liked the team aspect and the fact that if he's going that fast, I've just got to do my best to keep up. And, and you know, and you kind of, I don't know, that was, that was super, super cool. Um, but maybe the tra- um, Trans BC would be really good. I did the Andes a couple of years ago. That was, that was very, very good. Um, yeah. Lots huh. of to choose from. Yeah, I'm going to change mine too. I want to do the Transbisi also. You don't want to do the Cape Epic with me? No, I'll let you do that. You should go. You should definitely go do that, but I'll I'll do TransBC and you do Cape Epic and we'll see who enjoys their trip more. <laughs> Your guys' list. Just so everybody listening, my list includes the Cape Epic, uh, the Race the Divide, and also Valtteri Bottas' gravel race in Finland. <laughs> yeah, you took <laughs> it in the Cape Epic. Okay. I don't know if I'm fit enough for... Cape Epic, that race looks so brutal. You'd need like two years just to train for it, I think. Maybe like, you'd be just doing the Cape Epic trying to steal a pair of Nino shirt as used jocks. Just like, oh my God, it's really him. I see him. <laughs> there he is. I think he'd give me a pair if I asked him nice. <laughs> oh yeah, because yeah, yeah. you got humbled yeah. by him yeah. a little time ago. <laughs> I, For me, I know obviously uh, that race is very different than the other races, but for me, I think it would be amazing to go to South Africa. I think that tops the list and i'd be willing to wear lycra and do a cross-country stage race yeah. to do that what's the right i definitely though? had when? like thoughts like maybe i would want to do it one day but it's like on the the low lower on the bucket list than trans Zealand. <laughs> when i was um so the you know they did that red bull fast life series about you know documenting yeah, yeah. Favorite series. <laughs> they uh they erroneously asked me if i wanted to be interviewed for it i was like yeah sure so I'm sat down there and I'm chatting away. And at the end of the interview, they said, that was all very interesting, but we're not going to use any of it. <laughs> at one point, they were like, trying to like, they're like, so why would Nino Scherter do the Cape Epic? Expect me to talk about the romantic side of stage racing. And I was like, I assume he gets an enormous appearance fee. Then, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just like, sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, yeah, yeah, awful. Yeah, what's the race okay. to divide, Levy? What, I don't know. What's the... I, I don't think that's the name, but you know, it's the race where they go from oh, uh, tour the, oh, tour divide. Tour, yeah, the tour oh, divide. Yeah, 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 that's the one. I would. Real I don't me. think I would enjoy. You any would blow of that, up by I think... like one state in. No, I don't think so. Yeah, you would go too hard for like three days, and then day four you would cramp, and then you'd have to go home. I would be in Mexico yeah. by day four. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take people like 14 days. Yeah. Yeah. That's the record, you, I think. You, the only time that I've seen you go out for a gravel ride, you got a taxi home after like 17 kilometers. You oh, I was feeling so hot. <laughs> you drunk your own piss. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I'm going to delete that out of this podcast. <laughs> I support you, though. You should go do it. I want to follow you. Because they have like little dots I mean, you can like see where you're at. It would just be yeah. like, doot, doot, and then we just like go to a Wendy's or something and then just go back home. But you're allowed to go to as many Wendy's and Tim Hortons as you want. That's true. Yeah. Like, yeah, so. yeah. There's no Tim Hortons. Kaz. Yeah. While, but yeah. Kaz, mm-hmm. you wouldn't do the Cape Epic with, with me? I think that would be amazing. If you and I did the Cape Epic together. As a team? Oh, oh my gosh. As a team. I don't know if that's if the pink uh, like future. Yeah. I, <laughs> I would consider it. I wouldn't say no. Because it does seem like an adventure and I can paddle my bike, but it seems something I wouldn't normally gravitate towards. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I would consider you, doing one of like, your downhill enduro yeah. races Yeah, if if you consider the Cape Epic. So yeah. we'll we'll talk about that at a later date. Okay. Cape Epic, if you're listening. Uh, next question. Mr. Austin, uh, he wants to know about trail building guests on the podcast. He says there's a ton to talk about as far as riding and tech and all that stuff, but uh, the other side of the sport, trail building, maintaining trails, working on trails, that kind of stuff. Mr. Austin, I have definitely talked to a few trail builders over the last few months to get them on the podcast. Uh, it just hasn't worked out time-wise, but that's definitely something to talk about because there's all sorts of things to cover there. The tools, where to build, how to build, illegal trails, uh, e-bikes on their trails, keeping trails hidden, all that kind of stuff. So um how about something a little more lighthearted, though? Piska Nar, he wants to know what weapons we would have for a zombie apocalypse on our bike. Sarah Moore, go first. Uh, like something that's on my bike that I could use to fight zombies? Like, yeah, you're... My one-up you're, tool would be, like, the most... <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you're riding through the apocalypse on your single-speed Surly with racks everywhere. You've got all your worldly possessions on your bike. You're being chased by a herd of slow-moving zombies. What weapon do you have? 
uh, I don't know my weapons very well. Like maybe I'd have like a machete or something because it doesn't run out of bullets. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that you can carry on your bike too. It's got to be. It's got to be a bike tool. So I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna choose a big old pedal wrench with a sharpened edge on it. Nice. Uh, okay, I feel like that's yeah. what you carry with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go. I see what yeah. you mean. Okay, I was thinking like either it's a weapon or it's a bike tool, but you're saying the best bike tool for fighting zombies. Uh, yeah, let's do it that way. I'm going to still go with machete though. I just got a new machete the other day. And I, and I have a <laughs> It's pack- kind of a bike related yeah. thing because you like travel. Yeah, right? this time of year, there's so much brush and stuff. I got to chop the brush with the machete. Yeah. Sounds like you have a machete collection, Kaz. I just got a new machete yesterday. Well, I didn't. It, it's new to me, so now it's a machete. Yeah. I traded yeah. some tires for machete. Okay. Yeah. Henry, what would you have for a weapon on your bike? Oh, um, do, 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 do. yeah, it was probably, it would probably be the pedal wrench, the chain whip, like a big old chain. Oh whip. yeah. Mm. Exactly. Oh, a broken carbon handlebar could do some damage. And you could like, <laughs> yeah. he took a chain ring, like on a stick on the end of a stick and like mounted it up. So then he could just like bash people that way. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. We could make Not two. Bad. You could probably make like some a, cool weapons. Can yeah. you use a jockey weird as like a ninja star? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd have to throw it really. It'd have to be a really worn out one if they <laughs> yeah. get like really pointy, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> well, disc rotors. When you're like oh, 17 rotors. and you didn't even, you didn't, yeah, rotor would work too. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay. We Anyways, let's move on day. to something more serious. <laughs> <That> sounds fun. <laughs> uh, this one is from Mr. Chris J. Uh, he says, once we finished burning Henry's fan mail, this is from the last podcast Henry was in, uh, can you please consider the following for the Q and a, he wants to know the rising price of mountain bikes. Is it going to prevent young people from entering the sport? He says, surely $5,000 entry point means teenagers are effectively blocked from mountain biking. Um, what do you, what do you guys think? I have a different take than him, but what do you think, Sarah? That seems like an, Yeah. A funny thing to say. One, I don't think that five thousand dollars is necessarily the entry point. Um, so, rising price of MTV is going to prevent young people from entering the sport. I mean, I, I don't think. I don't think so. I hope not. <laughs> a lot of like, how young is he talking? Like, a lot of young people are probably getting bikes from like their parents, or so. Maybe he's talking about teenagers getting into it on their own. I think if people are going to want a mountain bike, I mean, there's sports that are way more expensive than mountain biking too. Like you can get a horse. <laughs> that right? you um, yeah. Mountain bikes are expensive. It's true. There's definitely always going to be fewer people mountain biking than there are like playing, playing soccer or running or those kinds of sports that do have a lower. Yeah. I, I would also say that as we've seen over the past couple of years, the sport is only growing. And it's definitely not shrinking. And lots of bikes are more expensive, of course. But lots of bikes are way less expensive, right, Kaz? Yeah, I think what you can get now for, you know, a couple thousand dollars is what you would have gotten, you know, 10 years ago for $5,000 or something. So the quality of bike you can get for a lower price is is definitely there. Um, It is expensive sport. But even like when you or I started, you know, like in the late 90s or mid 90s, bikes were expensive then too, like the inflation and all that stuff. But I remember, you know, saving up all my money to buy a a bike. Um, it, so it takes, a, it takes commitment. It's hard to get into the sport. Like there's no doubt there's barriers, but I think that people that want to can get in. And there's also the used market. And like a kid doesn't need a brand new $12,000 Santa Cruz, obviously like nobody does. So, um, yeah, yeah I think going used and hand-me-downs and stuff, then hardtails, like there's plenty of ways to get in. And then if you do get into the sport and still trying to find more money, I think that's how all of us end up in the industry is trying to afford it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've never bought the this like too expensive argument to be honest. Like I know we ride these fancy fancy bikes, but we don't have to. And there was a time Kaz and Henry and Sarah when we were all riding like very inexpensive bikes. And I I like you can get if you want to go mountain biking and you got a thousand bucks to spend, you could definitely go mountain biking. Like bottom line, this sport requires some sort of gear. I remember being I mean I think obviously the bikes are expensive. I think there are some things that are harder to source used, like good clothing, protection, that sort of thing. I mean, obviously they're out there, but I think that sometimes the bike, because there is, I mean, maybe not at the moment, but normally you can get good stuff 
used that's not incredibly incredibly expensive that said i think there's probably some price gouging on at the moment when i used to do those interesting things on the buy and sell i was always amazed by how much some people were asking then again when we did our budget versus baller we got those giant reins which are perfectly good bikes for mm-hmm. relatively cheap but i remember being a teenager being into my road cycling when i was probably like 17 years old and thinking my i think maybe we spoke about this before but my big picture dream was one day being able to get 105 on a bike like not even Dura Race Soltegra I wasn't even thinking that I was like one day I'm gonna have 105 <laughs> Look at you now. and it almost being almost being too decadent you know like, oh this is, yeah. this is too luxurious you know temper myself you know yeah I I think too it's easy to go on the pink bike homepage and you see these field tests and like the least expensive bike in the field test is like a like a $5,500 commensal or whatever that costs. And that definitely gives people the idea that that's where it starts. But like, if, if you just want to go mountain biking, you get a mountain bike and don't look at this stuff, you know, like I know a lot of this stuff is interesting and, but if you, if you can't afford a new mountain bike or if you can't afford a new suspension fork, just, I don't know, don't, don't look at the reviews because they can definitely make you feel like you need it. You know what I mean? What's interesting is when you see the World Cup privateers operate, I'm not saying that mountain bikes aren't really expensive, especially when you're trying to compete at an elite level, because obviously they are. But something that's interesting is once you actually factor in the cost of a season, the bike is actually the relatively inexpensive part for these riders. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's cheap, obviously it's not, but the fact that they can get a bike for, say, £5,000 where you can race World Cups on, it's... When it, whereas if you were trying to do it in, say, a motorsport or equestrian or anything like that, your biggest outlay would just be for the thing just to get to the first race, if, if that makes any sense at all. So, yeah, it could be cheaper, and, yeah, it could be better. But at the same time, it's pretty cool that, for, yeah, five grand you can get, you know, something like a common salve and have something that could race at the highest level of the sport, which maybe is slightly different to other sports. Yeah, which is not what you need. Like, the entry point, I don't think, is $5,000, like, Sure, it was a while ago, but my first mountain bike was $400. It came with the shoes and the pedals. It was used. So I think I would say if you're getting into the sport, like I know the used market has been a little bit crazy recently, but I think things will eventually calm down. And then I think the used market getting into the sport is a great entry point. Yep. Uh, Next question. This is from RM888. This is a question we've definitely answered before. We're going to answer it again. And I feel like we'll probably answer it in two more months (laughs) in another podcast. Uh, Kaz, this one's for you. He wants to know basically why we don't have a range of different size testers. There's a bunch of discussion underneath some of these field test reviews about us being too skinny uh, and people wanting the bikes to be tested by people who weigh a lot more. RM888 weighs 242.5 pounds, he says. Um, And he's wondering if a larger tester would have the same experience on these bikes as us. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, possibly, but the the flip side is we can't have testers of every single weight out there. You know, we can't have, I, mean, I guess we could if there was unlimited budget, unlimited time. We've got a 140 pound, 150 pound, 160 pound. Um, it's just, just kind of who works here, basically. Um, we have, I mean, Seb Stott is one of our taller testers. So he's, uh, was he six foot three? So he's pretty tall. So we've got him on some of the bikes. So you can, you know, I think it can help to find a t- tester that does have similar dimensions to you. I, like that does there is some validity in that, you know, like this guy's experience at 240 pounds is obviously going to be different than mine at 160. But, um, I think that the general impressions of the bike aren't as dramatically different than what some people would expect, you know, like the, the way the bike handles and feels it's mm-hmm. not, and I can't say that cause I've never been 242 pounds just like, so like, it's hard to like actually say for sure, but I don't think it's as, I should just get on your back. Yeah. If you're on you my back, the new mega tower yeah. with me on your back, but it is, it is a funny thing how people either say like, Oh, we're too skinny. But if we were the other way around, then there'd probably be the skinny people saying like, Oh, you're too big. So it's kind of a no win situation, but we do try to provide the insight into how the bike handles without making it so rider weight focused, you know? Yeah. I think they especially have a good point though. Uh, speaking about suspension performance, because sometimes if you, you know, if you do weigh 250 pounds, you got to pump up the shock, obviously it's got to be a lot firmer and that's, everything is going to change. And some of these bikes, am I, am I way off base here, Kaz, if I was to say that some of these bikes, they're going to have a different experience suspension wise for a bigger person who has to run much higher air pressure and then therefore much different damper, damper settings 
versus us, which are, you know, 80, 100 pounds lighter. Yeah, but I mean, they're still going to be trying to get the similar feel, you know, like they want their rebound to be a similar speed as us. Just you have to adjust that, obviously, for the amount of air pressure. Um, but yeah, like there are things that are different, obviously. And I think we did have Taj is going to be working on an article about kind of what it's like to, as a bigger rider. Um, I need to kind of check and see where that article went, but he was kind of talking to some manufacturers and just trying to see the things and just kind of outlining the things that he has to deal with. Cause I know, um, you know, he's, he's probably in that 240 pound bracket, maybe around there. And he definitely runs an issue with forks don't work as well as he thinks they should or suspension. Um, so yeah, there's, there's something there mm -hmm. to it, but uh, I don't, yeah, I guess there's no like easy way to appease the bigger riders that are angry that we're skinny. So I'm not really sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Can you also explain why we need to all be around the same height as well, Kaz? Yeah. I mean, that's more like luck that as it happens that we all happen to be around the same height, but that does make it way easier when we're doing these group tests. Like for regular testing, we can obviously have a wide range of testers to do the individual um, bike reviews. But when we're requesting bikes for the, the group tests, it'd be a huge pain if we had to get multiple size bikes. Um, not that it's not possible, but if we're getting six bikes in, you know, most companies have one bike available that we can test. If they had to send out two, that's kind of taken away from their demo fleet. And then we'd end up with 12 bikes and just the logistics and everything gets to be just too much. Um, so yeah, I think there is like potential here. There's story potential and, you know, getting different people's experience at different weights. But as far as having a huge range of rider sizes, I even saw someone saying that we should have beginners testing the bikes, I think, because then it would be a more average person's perspective on that. Like, uh, so that's not going to happen really anytime soon. Cause I think you also need to have a baseline to compare bikes to. Like if someone has never ridden more than one bike and you have them test a bike and then you're just like, it's the best thing ever. I don't think that holds as much weight. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting topic and like, yeah, obviously we don't have a very large tester on staff right now, but that doesn't mean that won't change. Yeah. I think people I, often say like the, the bikes that are more likely to break, but it seems like I've, I've been able to break wheels. Like I'm sure all of you guys have broken things as well. So I feel like they kind of want somebody heavy to hold the brands more accountable, but I think, yeah, you're not, you don't necessarily have to be just really heavy. You can also just be a very, you know, aggressive rider or maybe not, but you can still break things even if you're not you sure. Take down. shitty line choices, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think that if it was done like that, then, you know, I think sometimes with the idea of inclusivity in terms of, or fairness in terms of how, how we're going to test bikes, it's very easy to represent your own interests in the name of freedom, for, like fairness for everyone. But actually, if it was like that, then people would be saying, but why Why isn't the average Joe, you know, that's sort of median weight, median skill level testing these bikes? I don't think that it should be, if it was everyone was, you know, sub 140 pounds and one particular type of rider, then maybe that'd be it. But I think actually there is a, is a reasonable amount of variance on people testing these bikes. And, um, and it is a great coincidence that we're all the same height. I mean, when I was talking about coming on you know start interviewing for the role no one ever asked me my height or what size bike i like to ride but it's just mm -hmm. it's a good coincidence that we all do ride similar size bikes mm -hmm. we're gonna switch gears here kaz uh jeremy 3220 he wants to know are you skeptical that aliens exist skeptical about what aliens are saying or skeptical about the government denial that aliens are among us yeah i answered this one in the comments i said yes to everything <laughs> Yeah, that was my answer. <laughs> no, I don't know. I feel I'm definitely skeptical that aliens are here with us like you believe. Yeah. I'm not convinced okay. there's aliens here. Yeah. But why is... So, you know, the thing about the aliens building the pyramids. They didn't build the pyramids, but keep going. Okay, good. <laughs> but you did go to visit to make sure. Yeah, <laughs> I checked, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you checked. Yeah. Didn't see any aliens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. No, I was just winding you up, but turns out you've... You're a bit more level-headed than I gave you credit for there, Levy. Yeah. I just hear the Kaz, I know I've asked you this before, but I want to know all this stuff that's happening up there. People are seeing crazy stuff in the sky. They have for forever. How come you're not more interested in it? Like it's literally the most interesting topic in the world right now. What's going on up there? No, nah, there's just so many like quacks and conspiracy theories and stuff. I don't I I I would be open to the idea that there's aliens out there somewhere like obviously the universe is huge so yeah sure there could be aliens like that's fine but i don't think that all these people saying they're seeing them or like 
that you can com- communicate with your brain with someone else, like in Russia, like telepathy and stuff, even if it's written by some CIA guy who wrote a book about lasers. I don't believe that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't, ha- I don't feel like I have time to sort through all that stuff. If they show up, I'll go hang out and check them out. That'd be cool. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Well, moving on. Then. Yeah. Let me know if you find uh, them though. Like if you do find the aliens, tell me. I'll oh, come- I found them. Oh, you already did. <laughs> I found them. You could summon them. They come to you if you do the meditation thing and you could see the orbs in, up in the sky. Uh, yeah. See, I don't think I have that much time for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not even joking, Cass. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. Uh, D Simmons 12. Henry, what's the shortest ride you'll enjoy? And do you still jibbing ar- enjoy jimming around in the parking lot or cruising around doing like an urban ride, just messing about on a bike? Never. I, it's chicken or the egg. Do I not enjoy jibbing because I'm bad at it, or am I bad at jibbing because I don't enjoy it? Who knows? Um, yeah. For me, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know I find it hard to get. Like if I'm riding regularly, I'd find it hard to get motivated for anything less than like eight hundred thousand meters of vert. I know I find it hard to. Well, get out the house, <laughs> I suppose. Spoiled. <laughs> yeah, like That's three thousand. Oh, yeah, three thousand feet. That's. Yeah. I know. I just, for me, it's just not, not worth it. Um, yeah. Sorry. You just want to make it count when you're out there. Yeah. And it's just, it's just like, for me, I know the thought of something, doing something for an hour is just like, it's like cooking a big meal. That's only going to be one bite. It's just not worth the hassle of. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that's it's it's like really, a snack. Can't you like I was like that. But I was, <laughs> but it depends if, if I've got a time constraint outside my control, like I can, you know, I will do it for sure. But like in the UK, I'd even be the same. Like if I'm not getting in a thousand meters, even if it was loads of small hills regularly, then I find it hard to, hard to get out the door already. Yeah. I've, I've been doing something different this year. Um, I, I am still riding, going for rides that are too big, but at the same time, I'm doing a ton more rides that are like an hour long. And Mm. I'm just like going out for easy spins. And instead of like trying to do like, four or five, you know, 8,000, 8,000 meter, 1,000 meter rides a week. I'm doing a couple bigger rides, but then a ton of like rides that I'm barely pedaling on, like just taking it super easy. I'm out for an hour and a half, an hour, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, I wish I, I wish I had that available to me. I just, um, honestly, I just can't turn it off. Can you? I, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody that is predisposed naturally to anxiety. Um, So I find the thought of doing a short ride for some reason makes me very anxious. Um, so I need to go out there long enough that I go past the initial crazy thought, ah, and yeah, I yeah. just fall into, fall into my rhythm. And for me, riding isn't about, um, as someone who doesn't smash turns and, you know, rail ruts, riding has never been about that for me. It's more just a nice con- content, con- contemplative. How do I say that, Kaz? Complentative? Content? How do I contemplate it? Con- Contemplative. 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 Jesus Christ. I think I make a living doing this. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> what he said. For yeah. me, it's, it's, it's maybe has elements of that too. Like, And that's what I find really scary when I, I haven't ridden in a while, like I am now, is that I'm sort of in this no man's land where I've, I still have the expectation of needing to go out for two, three hours. But also I, I worry that I won't be able to do it in a degree of comfort. And so I'm there like, <laughs> like almost like scared to go and try. You know, it's a very bizarre thing. And for the record... I know that I'm weird. I'm not saying this is how other people should do it. I know that I am. Yeah. Okay. Levy, how many stair sets are you hitting on those hour long rides? Like you getting like none, none? precisely <laughs> zero. zero. Oh. <laughs> we used to do tons of urban riding. So we used to like drive to Vancouver an hour away and spend like an entire afternoon into the night, like riding around downtown, wheeling off of stupid things to flat bending bottom brackets and cranks and, but I feel like now, like, I mean, I never just go and fart around out on the driveway, like put up a two by four and try to ride along it. But I used to do that kind of stuff all the time. When's the last time you did that, Sarah? Just like mess around. Um, I would say like the shortest ride I'd probably enjoy is probably like 45 minutes to an hour. So I don't really just like take my bike down and like I have clip pedals, like put on my clip shoes. Like, you know, if I... So I don't really your electric like, socks. Yeah. <laughs> my electric socks, even though it's 35 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Um, so I'd say I would like, I'll play around at the end of a ride 
or like during a ride, but I won't just go out and go and jib or like practice my wheelies yeah, or pump traps. something like that. Usually it's like within a longer ride. Uh, occasionally I'll go to a pump track, but I don't have like a specific pump track bike. Oh, right you need now. one of those. You all should get pump so, track bikes. That's like that's if I'm going to yeah, go on a short yeah get one of those because i go to pump track once in a while if i'm just like not quite feeling like riding but need to do something and then yeah 45 minutes is plenty on a pump track or some dirt jumps or something yeah, yeah that's it's it. like doing intervals kind of <laughs> <laughs> you can do it like that yeah it's just more yeah. like a way to chill and be on a bike but not have to do like all of the like get all your stuff on or whatever you just roll out i think that's the thing yeah getting ready especially in the winter like i'd say in the winter i'll do longer rides just because like the cleanup and getting all your clothes on is so much of a barrier to getting out for a 45 minute ride. Isn't that one of the nicest things that going for, for me, the perfect time of riding is going for two hour and a half rides a day. So you get up in the morning, you go ride before breakfast, you get home, do your work, then pop your knee pads on your same smelly kit and you go out again. And then you just, no, that is, no, I don't ever do that. No, I'm good at one. I just go for, I go for a bike ride and I try to make, I don't want to go for two bike rides in a yeah, day usually. I'm good at one. Rarely. I'll go for two bike rides oh, if it's nice out. If it's oh, yeah, rainy so though, good. definitely do not sign me up for cleaning my bike and all my no. gear. Oh God. No. <laughs> I think, I think I'm missing something by not doing that. Like not farting around on a bike in the driveway or, or messing around on, I mean, I'm, I ain't going to do stair gaps anytime soon, Kaz, but I think that not playing around as much as I used to, I definitely think that I have lost some skills because of that, for sure. I could just imagine you on your gravel bike. We used to do this thing where we'd practice like picking up our, our water bottle on the ground. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're... <laughs> so I could just imagine you and like practicing getting on and off like cyclocross moves. <laughs> so these are like the, the new skills that you're going to be <laughs> working on on your gravel bike. <laughs> no weird systems on that thing. Uh... Did, did you guys ever play foot down? Like you're with like a couple friends and you try to knock each other off your bikes? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I did that before. I'm yeah. really bad at it though. Need to work on my track stance. Yeah, I like that game. Okay, Cass is really good. Yeah, right. Andrew, I was pretty yeah, good at it. Yeah, They're at, uh, at Crankworks, Specialized was doing like a foot down thing. I think they gave away a frame or maybe a bike for, they just had a little thing in front of their booth and then they had like a bunch of people and you know, it just worked like normal foot down. It's pretty good. Maybe that'll be our uh, next mike versus mike video that people keep asking for just a foot down video yeah. i think that'd be kind of fun kid <laughs> we're, we we're both gonna like hurt. missing half our spokes <laughs> yeah. trailers gone. Yeah. <laughs> broken wrist yeah uh, anyways um troll hunter wants to know seems like no one wants electric shocks he says not sure why fox and sram keep pushing them his words not mine except for those few riders who want to drop some serious coin Henry Quinney has got his hand up. Let's hear it. Dude, they are just... Get it, Henry. Get it. <laughs> they're an ivory handle fitted to a crowbar to leverage money out of people. No. It's a beautiful crowbar. That's all that it is. Yeah. I'm and with it's, you. It's yeah. true. Yeah. It's the, think... same, it's the same with so many things. Like, listen, if... Right. Derailers, like a $300 derailleur, for instance, isn't better than a $100 derailleur. But if they make it, somebody Agreed. will buy it. So they have to make it. It would make no sense. You're, it's the same. No, you're, it's like the running shoes thing. No, no, hear me out. They make expensive running shoes because people buy them, not because they actually make you run faster. And it's the same with so many things. You're wrong. A $300 derailleur basically <laughs> does the same thing as a $100 derailleur. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might last longer, hopefully, and it might weigh a little bit less. Um, but these shocks, the flight attendant and the new live valve for Fox or whatever the heck they call it, those are doing something that no, your then, mid price. Oh, no, let's not. Let's not. No, please, Michael. Yeah, they are. I've ridden them. They team. definitely no, because are. Because you've, you've fallen into the trap. Okay, so we have this fucking stupid trap in mountain biking and in cycling culture, mm-hmm. where we we believe because we have hydraulic systems available to us that going to an electronic thing is all immediately superior. But if we I'm look not at saying other it's superior, that are I'm saying it's offering like, something. Oh, going to a hydraulic or mechanical thing is superior because we're being sold what we don't have but why is it we look at a gxx to australia which is a perfect which works in in some good ways but it isn't is not as good in my opinion as like an slx australia but it's marketed as a step up in performance because it's electronic even though it's inferior 
you're not you're not picking up what I'm throwing down here though. Those derailers all do the same thing. No, they don't. They all do the same thing. The the no. flight attendant and live valve, whether you like them or not, and whether you're a fan of batteries or not, you definitely don't need them. But they offer a a a feature or a certain aspect of performance that another shock, a standard yeah. non electric shock doesn't offer. I'm not saying you should get it or anybody right. should get it. Okay. What well, what they offer. Mm-hmm. It's basically, if you are somebody who can't pedal circles, pedal squares, great. If you're somebody that has a spring rate so low because you don't ride that hard, you're going to need more pedaling support. Perfect. But if you're actually an experienced mountain biker who has an appropriate spring rate for the way that you ride, not needed. Or if you actually can just pedal in circles and you're not doing six RPM as you jump around on a fucking trampoline trying to go up a hill, you, d- you don't need it. But it's expensive <laughs> this- and it's premium and people buy it, which is fair enough, but it isn't good. And honestly, every time you say that you fall into this camp, I'm like, fuck me, get back on the gravel bike. What are you talking about? Like, Mike, fucking, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, Henry, baby. Henry, Henry, I have had conversations with you where you've told me that you run 20% or less sag on your spire because you wanted to pedal well. Your 170 no, I, millimeter bike. What are you bike. talking about? Yeah, I remember those conversations. 20%. You say you run it so stiff. Just oh, imagine. Super stiff. Super stiff. Just, yeah, just imagine stiff. you could run 35 or even more percent sag on a super yeah. forgiving enduro bike and you never have to think about a switch. I'm not saying it's good and I'm not saying people right. should buy this super expensive stuff, but I am mm-hmm. going to argue that it does offer some functionality that I think right. makes sense. Nah, Nobody no, go and buy okay. it. If you don't, don't want it, it, don't buy it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have I it agree. In this one. But yeah. if you had, but if you're running that 35% with a bike that isn't designed around that platform from the ground up, you're not going to have enough end stroke support or you're not going to have enough chassis stability. So what I'm saying is if you actually have your bike set up correctly and you're riding it appropriately, it negates the need for this beautiful system. Uh, it's incredibly expensive. But who runs 35%? No. You're going to have no, no, no. the bike. You're just going to be falling through the stroke all the time. It, no, no, no. First of all, you can def- there's lots of bikes you can run 35% sag on and have them set up just fine. But I think all this stuff does is it makes the performance window of a long travel bike wider and you don't need it. Like these 170 mil bikes, a lot of them pedal so damn well. Like that 55 pound Contra that we had at the freaking field test in Bellingham <laughs> with all the steel and all the chain. Dudes, that thing blew me away with how well it pedals. 100%. You don't need yeah. this stuff. But I think they do offer a performance advantage for people who are looking for that. I know Kaz is... I think it's awesome. Don't even say it, I'll just be quiet. Henry's holding it what he's doing it doing well. You know you know people that want fridges that talk to them and say, Good job, you use the ice dispenser. That's what it's I don't have any friends. My fridge talks to me. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Something you need suspension that makes him his friend in suspension. (laughs) There's a thing by the Garmin do a thing where they have this feature that says good job, you did a jump, basically, (laughs) which is probably the most damning indictment of humanity I've ever heard in my life. But it's for that type of people. They want feedback. They want to feel like they've got something that's processing. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, honestly, go make love to a printer if that's your mindset, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like you... I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said anything about gravel bikes. That was me being rude. I was just trying to... That that was too far. That was too far. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. That was too far. I I don't think having batteries on a bike changes anything. Like it doesn't make me like. There's no no less romance in in the sport mm. if my bike doesn't have cables and the batteries power a derailleur and the suspension. Like it doesn't like it doesn't change anything for me. But would you agree that as soon as you have batteries on a bike, does that like sort of change things for you to an extent? I mean, for instance, I took my bike out recently. Out Sounds of like one of your hangups, not a battery. <laughs> yeah, and fair enough. I mean, <laughs> listen, I'm a, f- a horrendously flawed person. I would never present myself as anything different. Um, but, you know, so I take my bike out of a box. My friend says, do you want to go ride? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, I've had a lot of stuff on. Get my bike built up. He comes to my house. Oh, shit. And the batteries aren't charged. Can you wait half an hour? And that is my fault because I didn't take the batteries out and it was rubbing and this, that and the other but honestly, it's just an energy I can't really... And by the way, I've got excess on my bikes right now, and I love the clean looks. And the shift is really good on the XO. The, the performance of the derailleur is amazing. The impact resistance is amazing. So many good things. But personally, for me, I would 
I find it frustrating to run if I don't have three batteries that I can always have a spare one, you know? Huh. Yeah. I've, I mean, to me, like it's the same as cleaning my chain, lubing my chain. Like, I don't know. I've never had an issue with the battery dying. I don't think. Whoa, really? Mm. Yeah. So well, you know me, I'm very organized and on top of stuff. <laughs> <Totally> <laughs> you know this the other day I was went out with my Garmin and I thought I'd charge it. And apparently I had it. And it's like started off my ride on the wrong note. Cause I was like, my Garmin's dead. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> so if I hadn't even had my Garmin, it would have been a way better ride <laughs> yeah. because I had the expectation that the electronics were going to work. And then they didn't. It put a sour note in my bed. Well, I, I don't know. I'm going to say, you guys know how I feel. I like the stuff. You don't have to buy it. I know it's expensive, but I think it's going to make bikes better uh, overall in the long run. No, I like it. I think they're going to still stay as niche items forever. Yeah, of course. Think, of course. So how are they going to make bikes I, better? I think not all bikes. It's going to make some bikes better. Like I I just we've talked about this before. Imagine like having a 180 millimeter travel bike that pedals like a 120 millimeter travel bike but also has like super deep feeling for giving suspension. You never have to frick around with any switches or anything. Yeah, you got to charge some batteries every now and then, but the thing just works all the time. Yeah. I mean, it sounds great. I feel like if I were an engineer, I would want to be working towards the next best thing. Yeah. So right there, I don't think it's like some big conspiracy like Henry was saying here. I think it's like people just want to work towards something better. And maybe they think that's electronics. And maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. But I think they are coming from a place of wanting to try to make bikes better. I just jump, I don't think it's I don't think it's part of a conspiracy. I think it's the obvious mechanisms of consumerism that's all that it is and that's fine and people need to make money and they need to like that's great i really i'm happy for them to do it but what i'm saying is that i don't also swallow it hook line and sinker that i'm like oh but this is this is needed or this is ab- absolute and it's lovely to have like like i said it's clean it does everything that they probably set out to do but um yeah and also i think within mountain biking we there's a huge amount of confirmation bias i think most people spend x amount of money on something and they're going to tell you it's amazing which is why people being really really hard-nosed difficult and sound like a prat on podcasts is absolutely vital (laughs) i'll also add too that a lot of people love our sport for the gear you know i love riding bikes blah 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 all the things but i think we also we love the tech side of the sport there's certainly nothing wrong with that and the last thing i want to add if you ride an e-bike you're not allowed to get down on an electronic suspension yeah, you can. Casimir. Why? No, you ride an e-bike. Your bike has a motor. It has a battery. I, can, I still don't need electronic suspension. Yeah. I don't think it's an electronic bike. Come on. I don't, I don't need an electronic bike either. We've I've said this so many times. Like if e-bikes go away, I don't care. It's fine. Regular bikes are great. I know, but you enjoy riding e-bikes. You have e-bikes. Yeah, but blah, blah, electronic blah, suspension is different than an e-bike. No, it's not. It definitely is. I agree with you. No, Kaz. it isn't. Yeah, it's a totally different I thing. I agree with you, Kaz. But it's got smacks of people that are like, I don't believe in eating animals. I think it's wrong. Except fish. Fuck fish. I'll eat fish. <laughs> yeah, but a motor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a pes- yeah, pescatarian life. But the, yeah, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. Whatever works for you. But I, but I think electronic, like your e-bike doesn't have to have electronic suspension either. It's suspension without electronics. So it's like a separate thing. Yeah, I just don't, I mean, I just don't see the need for it with how well current suspension is working or getting close to working. I think it's extra complication. That... I don't see the need for motors on bikes, but hey. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that you need Needless motors on bikes either. Cars. I know. Yeah. There's no need for motors anywhere. <laughs> Not even on cars. We should all go back should to horse and, buggies. horse and buggies. Horse and buggies. I'm going to fight over this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a question. Our next question is about bike weight. Um, Screaming Narwhal. Excellent name. He says, it surprises me that the meta seems to always get called out for being hefty, while the Norco range skirts through at 37 pounds for a top end build and it gets bike of the year honors. Maybe other bikes get called out as well, but it always seems like the meta is referred to as some kind of Andorran anchor. That's a, that's a good name for it. So Kaz, does the Norco range get a free pass when it comes to its weight, what's going on there? I mean, if you look at any of the reviews of the range that we did, we always mention its weight. So it's not as if we're like, oh, this is a magical light bike. And it's so, um, yeah, it's not accurate to say that we just totally ignored the weight in that range. But the, that bike's performance is what made us give it uh, bike of the year. It's a you know obviously a downhill-oriented machine, basically rides like a downhill bike. And, yeah, it's heavy. And we said that, but it also rode so well on the sense that 
Um, that's how it got bike of the year. And then with the common saw, if we didn't mention the weight, we wouldn't really be doing our jobs either because it is on the heavier side of things. So um, maybe common saws weights get mentioned because they do tend to be a little heavier than other bikes in in that category. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, weight's an easy thing to measure. Whether you can feel on the trail, that's different, but it's easy to put a bike on a scale and say, well, this one's 35, this one's 37, this one's heavier. So. Yeah, I mean, I also think in defense of the Norco, which was a bike that I thought descends fantastically, but it's a bike that I was, you know, when we discussed about um, bike of the year and stuff, which I was quite critical of, I think for a mountain bike on smooth stuff, you know, it doesn't climb particularly well, but as a technical climber, credit where it's due, the traction is quite simply amazing. So, you know, weight weight is important to discuss, but as Kaz said, it's not like we brushed under the carpet a lot of the time we, we, you know, I remember doing that field test and we just said that, is this an enduro bike that descends well or a downhill bike that climbs well? I don't <laughs> think we could put it in kind of more stark terms than that, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have to mention weight, period. We're reviewing bikes. It's like Kaz said, it's a number we have to mention. So um, there you go. And I do think the Norco, I mean, the Norco descends so well that it's, it. We you can kind of forgive the weight a little bit, you know? yeah and i mean you know with those we also had that common style bike on the field test and literally half the weight was in the two mile long seat post or seat <laughs> if they cut that down it would have been so much lighter man yeah and and also you know like some bikes do pedal heavier than others whether or not yeah. you know like the perceived weight of a bike is something different which obviously it's you can't it's cliche you can't say like oh this bike feels like it only weighs 25 pounds or whatever but some bikes just kind of feel better whether that's chain state length or just overall dimension so um yeah for this latest field test i will say that that common saw wasn't you know just kind of did feel like a bigger heavier bike than some of the other ones on test even if the weights weren't that much different all right next question is from nicksand5 he's having a hell of a time with shock reliability he says i hear you guys talking about brakes that should be better uh however six rebuilds in a year with his dpx2 on a stump jumper uh, and the DPS five in 10 months. Holy crap. He says he just wants a simple shock with some level of durability. Uh, he got two and a half months on a super deluxe and it's still going strong. What is going on? How is this guy going through so many shocks? I don't know. I feel like he needs a different shop. Like, realistically, those yeah, well, th- shocks do have issues, but that is crazy. I don't know what I'd, I'd be curious to know what issues rebuild. Yeah. When he says rebuild, does he mean talking like full rebuild or does he mean a lower, I, like a, a can service? Because two months for a can service is very reasonable, I think. But two months for a full rebuild, like new oil, yeah. you know, damper service is, yeah, problematic. Yeah. Nick's, Nixon 5, if you're losing damping and losing oil and the shock is losing pressure, then yeah, something bad is happening. And sometimes that's down to the bike. Like some bikes are worse on some shocks than others. I don't think Kaz the stump jumper is overly harsh on shocks. Maybe you want to. It can. I mean, there are people that, that have had issues. So. Yeah, some people have had had issues with the yoke style design on the stump jumper um, with a with like a coil shock. But air shocks should be fine, and especially those ones aren't like. Yeah, DPX two is not really something that's. I haven't heard too many issues with DPX two, at least not recently. So, um, yeah, I'm not really sure here. Like, obviously, th- those. The intervals he's going through stuff something's going on i think i would maybe get the maybe get the frame check just to make sure that it's not putting a weird load or right. something if something's bent or just kind of um, without more details it's hard to know what's blowing these shocks up but i feel like there's something else besides shock reliability because overall they're fairly reliable these days yeah no there's something something definitely wrong there Maybe he rides 10 hours every single day. He's just, yeah, know. maybe. Good, yeah. Just 400 <laughs> pounds doing Whistler laps every day. Yeah. I don't know. 50% sag. Just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he needs flight attendant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he doesn't. Uh, okay. We're going to move on. Fenton Crackshell. So this was underneath the Meta SX review, which is a mullet that has 450 mil chainstays. He says, what's the point of a mullet with 450 mil chainstays? You're missing out on that pop and agility of a shorter rear end built around a smaller rear wheel. He goes on to say that you might as well be a full 29er at that length. Kaz, what would you say to that? Um, well, in, in this case, I think you gain rear wheel clearance. So if you're in super steep terrain, you're not going to get your 
but buzzed by the the rear wheel um so you get more room there and then i think the ability to move the back end a little bit more you do notice that like even if just a smaller wheel it's a little bit easier to to move it around even if the chain stays are longer so i think that's what you get you know, comments all with that bike we're trying to go with it. he's talking about the meta sx here but they're trying to get a more balanced front to front to back kind of ratio um so i don't think you necessarily need I, I know you don't necessarily need short chain stays automatically when you have a, a smaller rear wheel. It's more about the overall balance of the bike. Um, you know, it, it does affect how that thing rides. Like it does want to go fast and straight. Um, but I, I think it was a conscious decision on their part. I've noticed my preferences change over the last four or five years, Kaz. I seem to have more confidence and then more fun on bikes with longer rear ends. Um, and it's kind of counterintuitive, like that length adds stability, which gives me confidence, which then that confidence lets me play around more on the trail than if I would on a shorter bike. Do you have a preference for, I know it's not just chain stays, like obviously like all those geo nerds are going to get angry, but obviously it's about the big picture. But if you could just choose, would you, would you prefer like a big long rear end or like a 430 tucked up real close to the seat tube? Yeah, I would say definitely more towards the longer side of things. Like it doesn't, I think these days I tend to not enjoy bikes with super short chain stays as much. And part of that's due because bike reach has grown. So a lot of times you will get a bike with a, you know, even a modern reach. If you have, let's say 480 millimeter reach, if you Alex. give it 430 chain stays or 425 chain stays or whatever, it can feel a little strange. It's rideable. Like it's, it's really easy to adapt to. I think like people get so hung up on numbers like, oh, I can't ride that bike. You'll be okay. But it is easier when you get a more balanced bike rather than if that back end's really short and just kind of wants to kind of let loose when you don't want it to. So yeah, these days I'd say yep. uh, more moderate length to longer length chain stays work well for me. Yeah. Uh, this question is for Sarah. It's about Henry. OG <laughs> Van, he asks, if Henry didn't hate mountain biking so much, what industry would he be in? <laughs> <laughs> Quiet, Henry. Keep it down. <laughs> Keep it down. We need to answer this one without you. <laughs> What industry would Henry be in? Well, he doesn't really like winter sports, so it's not winter sports related. Um, maybe motor vehicles? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say Henry would either be a writer of some sort. Oh, I can imagine that. Yeah. His, his books would be very long. They would be very interesting, but they <laughs> oh, would go on and that. on. <laughs> Lots of fucking tangents. <laughs> it could be like a choose your own adventure story, maybe. Um, mm. Or what about, what about like, a, you're, you're a good person to talk to, Henry? You know, Ooh, not like a psychologist or something. Yeah. yeah, like a counselor or something like that. Like you're very, you know, I, I don't know what the word is. Nice. If I hadn't, if I hadn't fallen into the bike thing, I think I'd have to be a barber. I've always thought I'd cut great hair. Never tried it. It's just a hunch. <laughs> um, or, yeah, I'd like to, um, I don't know, I'd like to train as a counsellor. And I still, I think I'd quite like to do that one day. Um, I don't know, I find it really interesting. Really? Mm. So I just I guessed that. I don't think we've ever yeah. had that conversation. I just assumed. No, but yeah. I think we, we've, we've talked at length about stuff and, um, you know, counselling and therapy has just been such a wonderful thing for me. And it felt, felt like... I know it's life changing, and I think um, I don't know. I'd, I'd like a slice of the action, just basically yeah. just ask people to tell about their mushroom stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he could be like a cult. I could see as like a cult leader too. Yeah, he could start a cult. Oh, his cult yeah. would be great. Yeah, Hi Hiram, Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> just you know, you can write a book and then start a cult. Yeah, and, you know, yeah just marshmallow yeah. induced sugar highs, and then talk about our feelings. Uh-huh. Perfect. That'd be good. <laughs> What do you guys think Casimir would be doing if he wasn't here with us right now? Maybe an English teacher. <laughs> mm, I could see that. Mm, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. A librarian I, is actually what I, I'd like to be. <laughs> Librarian's like my dream yeah. job. Oh, you would make an amazing librarian. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I would like to be a dog walker. I could see that with like 12 That's dogs really just like <laughs> drinking your tea and trying yeah. to keep the dogs alive. <laughs> Not picking up any shit. <laughs> I can imagine you with a really lucrative Slack sponsorship. A Slack? What do you mean? Like Slack line or the, Slack? No, the Slack, the trousers. Just like Mike Levy. What slacks does he wear? He's like a connoisseur. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was going to say a sandal sponsorship, but uh, Slacks work too. You need one of those. Yeah. Uh, next question, Callie Cartel. Cass, he wants to know when the next Mike versus Mike video is going to drop. We keep talking about it. I don't know when it's going to happen. I would challenge you to do the Enduro race. You didn't show up. You didn't show up at the pump track race. I think our foot down thing. We'll do that. I didn't probably want to not. do those. I know. Think yeah, of something. I'll, I'm up for I'll it. Down thing. Yeah. We should battle. Yeah, yeah, I'm so, always down so, to battle. Yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, to answer this person's question, Levy's not showing up to the events, so we don't know. We can't have a mic first mic if one mic doesn't show up. <laughs> I didn't want to get smoked in the Enduro race by you. You would have you would have destroyed me in the Enduro race. It would be a fun one. <laughs> well, it's getting towards winter. What was that? We can I have, didn't want to show up. Like, it's time for the return of Hucking Henry and what was it? Leap and Levy. We can do some kind Leap of Leap and Levy. Leap and yeah. Levy. We'll get Leap and Levy out again and see what we can do. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, VHGG Strum something or other. He wants to know plans for Grim Donut 2.0. When are we going to see? I'm actually, right after we film this podcast, I'm going to film the Grim Donut intro video and outro. Uh, and then all of the video components, I think, are filmed. And then we just have to put it together and and put it on the website. So 2024, maybe, something like that. <laughs> All right, we've got one last question here before we close up. This one is from Sales Punk. This was underneath our one of our field test reviews. He said, Pinkbike definitely needs to incorporate at least one big, capital big, day with the bikes. Think 5,000 feet of climbing, 35 plus miles, because that is how these bikes get used a lot of the time. Yes, we're all focused on descending, but how they feel during rides that have hours in the saddle makes a difference as well. So this is specifically about field test reviews. Uh, Kaz, what would you say? Um, yeah, I, I don't think that the, like when you're evaluate, evaluating bikes at a certain point, you just end up riding the bike. Like after the first hour or two, you're just on a bike ride. It doesn't really, how the bike is handling and things kind of fade away. Um, which I like that, but I don't think that really makes it easy for us to do reviews that way. Like, and I mean, the answer to his question for this, it would just, we wouldn't have time for, to make that fit in, in the couple weeks or two or three week period that we do the field test for the longer, the standalone bike reviews. That is how we test the bikes. Like we have them for a, a month or two and we ride them a ton. And I think, yeah, 5,000 foot day is pretty normal for most of us. Um, so yeah, it just doesn't really happen with the field test reviews just cause if you have, if you're reviewing six bikes and you six, 5,000 foot days, that's almost your week. And then to do the back to back and all that just doesn't work out logistically. So yeah, field tests are more about shorter rides or usually going out for like, um, you know, a couple hours on each bike. And then this is, that is an instance where we have, we ride multiple bikes in a day. So, you know, maybe hour and a half on a bike, hour and a half, another hour and a half, another, um, yeah, that's just how field test works. Yeah. We put lots of time on different, different bikes, but those field tests are comparisons. So shorter rides back to back to back. Um, Kaz, you're doing monster rides. Henry, you're doing monster rides. Sarah, you're doing big ass rides on these test bikes. So these bikes see plenty of miles. All right. I think we have given enough bad advice for one episode. If you want your questions answered in an upcoming podcast, put them down below this article or anywhere on Pink Bike, as long as you tag me in it so I can add it to our next Q&A episode. And we'll see you guys next week. Take care.